Coming up on the Stark Fighter podcast. I get the call from my mother and she says, you know, um, I need you to, I need you to come to the house. I need you to come downstairs. Uh, your father is dead, is what she said. She was frantic. Warren Robinson's father was the picture of health. And one day, he just didn't wake up. And um, my sisters were there and we were baffled. There was seemingly no explanation. So the family had to pay for an autopsy. And we kept saying, this is something is not right here. We need this to be looked into. The sheriff reached out to the coroner's office, kind of conveyed that to them and said, listen, we don't see any medications here. There's, you know, um, nothing that, that to us would indicate full natural causes. The coroner refused. In this edition of the Sark Fighter podcast, Warren shares the story of his father's death. But as a producer for Netflix and an attorney to boot, he wants to try and make a difference in the fight against sarcoidosis. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello and welcome. Believe it or not, this is episode 50 of the Sark Fighter podcast, brought to you in part by a grant from Atire Pharma. I'm your host, John Carlin, and a fellow Sark Fighter. I do this podcast, as you've heard me say before, if you listen, to offer fellow Sark Fighters and their caregivers and researchers, whoever it is, people in the sarcoidosis space, to maybe offer a little bit of hope and to help you connect with other SARC patients, to hear their stories, understand how sarcoidosis affects their lives, and then hopefully that helps you understand what you're up against, gives you a little perspective, maybe what you need to overcome, whether it's the disease, the effects of the medicine, or both, dealing with doctors. Um, doctors, if you're listening, dealing with patients, understanding some of the frustrations are out there because this is kind of a, a mysterious, I hate to say it, disease. And one of the greatest things that we can do in the fight against sarcoidosis, especially from my perspective as a media guy, my primary job is I'm a local news anchor, um, especially from my perspective is to raise awareness of the disease, to get it out there so that, so that people know to look for it, right? So many people start out with symptoms and nobody can figure out what's wrong with them, right? And the doctors don't know to look for it. Sarcoidosis is one of the last things they look for because it's an orphan disease. Let's face it. I mean, when you, when you get out there and, it's, and something is wrong with you and it's not one of the more common things that doctors look for, it's not cancer, for instance, uh, but something is not right, they look and they look and they look and, you know, sarcoidosis is not on anybody's radar. So maybe if we can raise awareness, maybe doctors will get to that conclusion and, and look for it a little bit sooner uh, to get treatment started a little bit sooner. And then beyond that, there aren't a lot of great treatments to go to for 90% plus of sarcoidosis patients is prednisone, and prednisone is not a great solution, uh, and it's not often it's not a permanent solution, or uh, it's one of those things where the treatment is worse than the disease. So one of the things we'd like to have is more pharmaceutical companies and researchers saying, hey, you know, 
there's something going on over here. There's this thing called sarcoidosis, and um, there hasn't been a lot of work on that maybe, but it's interesting. Maybe that's an autoimmune thing that I can focus on as I begin my career. And that's one of the things that the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research has become really good at, is identifying these young researchers who who then jump into the space and, and can make a difference. So that's one of the reasons that I do this podcast. And uh, I've noticed that there are some other people out there who have figured out that sarcoidosis awareness, awareness is really important in the fight. And how do I know that? Well, I'll go on my Instagram account, The Sark Fighter. It's not just Sark Fighter, it's The Sark Fighter. And I'll put a hashtag for sarcoidosis, right? Well, on Instagram, if you've ever posted, it offers up some other common similar hashtags and the hashtag sarcoidosis awareness always rises to the top, right? So that means to me that there's a lot of other people out there who are posting about sarcoidosis and they use the hashtag sarcoidosis awareness. And that means that everybody is struggling to get this out there in front of the world, right? And so Awareness is important for all the reasons that we can kind of infer. More people know about it, all those other things that I just talked about will happen. Well, today's guest, Warren Robinson, has an amazing story to tell, first of all. And I, and I don't want to tell you too much about it right now. I want you to hear it from him. It's much better from him. He's a fantastic storyteller. Um, but I will tell you that he has become an advocate for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research because his father died suddenly and without explanation. And yes, it did turn out to be sarcoidosis. That's not a spoiler. That's kind of the beginning of the story, okay? But perhaps, just maybe, Warren can turn his family's tragic loss into something that can raise more awareness for sarcoidosis, maybe better than it's ever been done. And I say that, and I know this is a long shot, even for him, but Warren is not only motivated, but he works in the entertainment business. He is a producer and even has a show on Netflix. But he works with celebrities all the time because he's in the entertainment business. He's an attorney, and he knows a lot of people in all the right places. So I don't know everything that there is to know about what it takes to get something going in the, literally the high-stakes world of big-time entertainment where people throw around millions of dollars the same way maybe I spend $100 at the hardware store. But who knows? I will, I will tell you this much. Um, here is a family who lost a man who always did it right. He ate well, he exercised, he was a man of the cloth, a minister. He helped people every day of his life. And somehow, even for him, even for this family, sarcoidosis snuck in and took his life. And then, then the family had to fight, had to overcome stereotypes to get to the bottom of what caused his death. And it was not easy. And Warren will tell that story in the interview coming up. And he is determined to do something about it so it doesn't happen to the next family and the next family and the next family. And black or white or whatever, uh, you are going to hear. I mean, he, he is African-American, but that doesn't matter. 
I mean, there are certain issues that he has to overcome, but they're the same issues. They're the same issues everybody has to overcome. And it's just more magnified in this particular case. And he'll tell you why. And it has to do with statistics and it has to do with stereotypes and it has to do with with everything um, that his family was facing. But it's the same thing a lot of families are facing. And his story is next here on the Sark Fighter podcast. I feel like a zombie just feeding at stumbling. Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter podcast. Welcome back to the Sark Fighter podcast. Joining me now is Warren Robinson, who has uh, a unique, uh, unfortunately, uh, perspective on sarcoidosis. And he's going to uh, tell us a little bit more about his commitment to maybe finding a new way to fight Sark. Warren, thank you for joining me this morning. Absolutely, John. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So, um, I, listeners will will know because I'll have done a little introduction by this point. So that that your father um, had a, had a, a tough run with Sark, and you guys took some pretty extreme action in order to discover that. But I want people to understand who they're listening to. So why don't you give us the the thumbnail sketch of you and your background in the media and the legal field and all of that? <laughs> uh, that should be easy. It's not that interesting. No. Um... So I, I'm Warren D. Robinson, as he mentioned. I, um, you know, my um, I, I my background in entertainment started actually when I was uh, really really young. When I was a teenager, I used to uh, write plays, and I would write them and stage them and direct them and uh, perform them mostly around uh, my church and at different churches. It was fun, and so that's kind of where my my dive into entertainment started. But then um, I had very traditional minded parents who were like, okay that's cute and you're talented but it's time to go focus on getting a real job <laughs> uh-huh. uh, the kind of thing so I figured okay I gotta find a way to have a real job make real money and still stay in uh entertainment so I I, I wrote plays and I used to uh, after starting running plays I, I was a model for a little while I used to take uh pictures and do uh runway shows and stuff it was fun no, like, um, so we're we talking like Paris Chicago New York what are we talking about well, no, I wasn't that big, unfortunately. Okay. okay. Uh, I was no, I wasn't. I didn't. I, I didn't get to go to Paris, but no, locally, um, around my uh, the Midwest, Chicago, St. Louis, Indianapolis. That's I was, cool. You know, it was fun. It was fun, and I made a little bit of money from it. But no, I wasn't Tyson Beckford or anything. You didn't see me uh -huh. on the cover of Vogue or uh, <laughs> any of that. But I also never really, really, truly pursued it enough because you know when you're a male model um you have to keep that that six and that eight pack together and you know i like to eat so it was always you know mine was always fluctuating there but uh <laughs> so i did that and then after that um went to college and decided that uh i went i went to go to law school and i always wanted to be a lawyer i wanted to be a lawyer since i was like five years old four or five um i'm gonna age myself here but when i was like four or five 
the the OJ Simpson trial was really big at that time. And I remember being like five standing in front of the TV. And I don't think I understood what was going on, but uh, there OJ had an attorney, Johnny Cochran. And I just remember looking up to Johnny Cochran and kept saying, I want to be Johnny Cochran. I want to be Johnny Cochran. So that was my introduction <laughs> into law at a very early age. And so Interesting. Uh, I, I went to law school, went to Howard, did that. And then uh, after graduating, started working with uh, artist management, doing contracts, uh, negotiating deals on behalf of clients. Uh, you know, I've worked with a lot of major corporations, a lot of um, the networks from NBC Universal to uh, Viacom, uh, you know, a lot of corporations that were doing uh, entertainment deals, uh, Fortune 500s like Best Buy, uh, Eli Lilly, um, a lot of celebrities, everybody from, uh, so I used to do, uh, I would do a lot of contracts for third party events and they would book celebrities. So we had everybody from, you know, Taraji P. Henson to uh, Vivica Fox to Pam Greer did all of those. And um, recently got into the producing side of things, did my own film, uh, have a show now on uh, Netflix called uh, Buried by the Bernards, and I've worked on a lot of other shows that are currently out there. So that's kind of uh, me in a nutshell. <laughs> okay. Well, that is really cool. So to say again, the uh, <clears throat> the name of the show, because I had a little bit of an audio breakup, the name of your show on Netflix? Yeah, it's called Buried by the Bernards. It's, it's a... Great family comedy, so you'll you'll really enjoy it. Buried by the Bernards, right there on All Netflix. Right. All right, I'm going to check it out. And is that a, a streaming thing where we can, uh, where I can get hooked on it and watch it? You know, episode after episode. Yeah. And you know what? The episodes are really short and they're really funny and they all just flow. So you'll be done. You'll watch all eight before you even know it. And you'll be like, oh, wow. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. So. So you've got all this amazing background, the, the legal mind, the legal background. You, you kind of know the lay of the land. Um, and so, but your dad. Yeah. Tell, tell us now the story of your dad. Um, and let's start out with, he was a fit guy and one day he had a heart attack. What happened? Well, um, my father was uh, extremely fit and he took uh, very good care of himself, uh, extremely good care of himself. So, it, uh, and, and, and he didn't have a heart attack. Um, I'm sorry. Clear, it was, uh, it, we, well, so let me back up. Uh, yeah, back it, back it up, back it up. When we found, so what happened was just out of the blue, I had actually um, talked to my father. It was a Thursday. Matter of fact, I remember I had talked to him. We had a great conversation. Everything, you know, was normal. Uh, I left and then that Friday, that next day, um, within, cause I talked to him that night. So probably about nine o'clock that night. So maybe within 13 hours, um, I get the call from my mother and she says, you know, um, I need you to, I need you to come to the house. I need you to come downstairs. Uh, your father is dead is what she said. She was frantic and I'm screaming like, okay, mom, yeah, right. I didn't believe it. Uh, because right. you know, just saw my father. Very fit guy, healthy. As far as we know, not a, a a a problem in the world. So it just didn't make sense. It didn't comport to me. So I get there, and um, you know, my father is uh, deceased in the bed. He he passed in his sleep, and um, my sisters were there, and we were baffled, absolutely baffled about okay, how is this possible? Because again, my father was the type of person who did everything that you're, I guess, supposed to do. 
to live a long, healthy life, right? He ate right. He was very conscious about his diet. Unlike the rest of us, we were the ones who ate the French fries and the <laughs> all the other stuff. My dad was very careful about, you know, lean meats and turkey and doing this and, and very fit, exercised every day, um, very healthy weight, had no pre-existing conditions at, at 70 years old. Um, no conditions, um, wasn't overweight. So there were no risk factors. And he had just went to the doctor a few months ago. Lab work was fine. Blood work was fine. EKG test was fine. So we couldn't figure out how in the world did he uh, pass away in his sleep? It just made absolutely no sense to us. Just none. Um, not that. It just, you know. So we, uh, I called 911, of course. We got the, uh, the, the, the um, sheriff's department, they came by. We were initially saying, okay, look, we need to figure out what happened to dad here because it's not making sense. It's not adding up. How is this possible? This is a healthy, fit man with no, um, with no underlining pre-existing conditions. We need to figure out what happened. They refused. Uh, they refused to do an autopsy. They refused to, the coroner refused to come out. They said, you know what? He's a 70 year old African-American male. It's probably a heart attack. And, right. they, so, and so he died in his sleep. Did you say that? Yes. He died in his sleep. Okay. Correct. So your mom just came around the corner and, and there he was and he wasn't moving. I mean, um, I, I mean, yes. I just, I, I, I want to unravel that just a little bit to the extent that you're comfortable talking about it. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. She she woke up uh, that morning because usually my dad's a very early riser. Again, just everything. He gets up and he's a very routine guy. So every day pretty much is the same thing. He wakes up at like 738. He does this exercise first thing in the morning. Um, and so he's always up uh, before my mother. That's just how he is. My mother's a late sleeper. He gets up. He does his exercise. He'll have his breakfast, which is usually like a banana and some oatmeal. And then, you know, and then he goes about his day because he has a list of things he has to get done in the day. And so he's like, on it. so it was a very routine thing. So when my mother woke up uh, and my father was still, as, as she thought, sleeping in the bed, she was actually surprised. And so she thought, you know, oh, he he overslept. And so she turns and, you know, she grabs him and she says, oh, my gosh, she says, you overslept, old man. And um, I think it's at that time that she realizes, you know, uh, he had been dead for a few hours because according to her, you know, he was hard at that point. And so rigor mortis she, had set in. Correct. Yeah. Um, and so she knew what, what that was. Uh, so she called us, she called uh, me and she called my older sister um, to, you know, to come over there. And uh, that's kind of, and so we did, I, you know, since I got the call, I got up and I rushed over there to see, okay, what, what's going on and again i didn't really believe it i thought i didn't know what it was i thought you know either he's asleep or it's some kind of joke or something because dad always he just seems so healthy it just never fathomed to me that that would be the case uh yeah, but yeah when i got there um rigor mortis was was in it was very clear so wow so 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 you get there you call i guess do you call a corner do you call the ambulance do you call 911? Who do you call? Um, we call, so I, I, I call 911 actually. Um, yeah. Which is ironic because I, at that point, there was nothing they could do. Right. And so um, as I'm talking to the 911 operator, you know, she's like, well, maybe we can give him CPR. I'm like, look, that's not even going to work. Right. right. At this point, I can't even get him on the ground. He's, uh, you know, he's stiff. So 
911 sends the the sheriff's department out, which is standard. They come out to the scene and um, document it. And we were talking to the sheriff who's like, okay, you know, died at home, nothing's disturbed, doesn't, the body hasn't been disturbed. Um, so he's kind of running it up as a, a kind of natural Closet. scene kind of right, thing. Yeah. And um, we're talking to him and we're telling him, listen, though, this just doesn't make sense to us. There has to be something. He did not just have a heart attack. Like uh, this, it just doesn't happen that way. You know, my sister uh, has a master's in nursing. She's been in the nursing field for, oh gosh, over 15 years. That doesn't, it doesn't just happen like that, you know, to have, have no history of cardiac problems, to have mm-hmm. no of the underlying risk factors of cardiac problems to have a, a EKG done maybe three months before, and then to have such a massive cardiac event in your sleep, uh, just out of the blue that it, it kills you is possible, but rare, unlikely. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and so we kept saying that and we kept saying, this is something is not right here. We need this to be looked into. The sheriff reached out to the coroner's office, kind of conveyed that to them and said, listen, we don't any medications here there's you know um nothing that that to us would indicate full natural causes the coroner refused <laughs> they tell the sheriff i'm saying you know that hey 70 year old african-american male write it up as natural causes it's, it's probably a cardiac event we're not coming out um that and that was that and he said you know you can try to contact them yourself he said i can't get them to change their mind they're not going to come out Right. So that so then your family decided, well, we're not going to take no for an answer, right? I mean, well, you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna get to the bottom of this one way or another. Well, because you know what? Um, I think it's a lot of factors that go into that at that time. Emotionally, we're still trying to figure out how in the world did this happen because we're not buying this heart attack exists. We're just not. My father, he took care of himself. There's no way uh in our minds that he had a heart attack regardless of what they say and it was so dismissive john and i think that's part of the problem that really upset us so it's it's a matter of grief non-belief and being upset because the coroner's office really just completely dismissed what we were saying and dismissed the fact that we're telling you this is a healthy man they just assumed and and it was their own words why i can say that they assumed this they Mm -hmm. assumed because he was again an african-american male and he was 70 which in their eyes is super old it had to be a heart attack and that's all they would hear. And so when we're telling you, well, wait a minute, there's no signs there. There's no evidence of that. There's no, nothing to back that up. They wouldn't even hear it. What and city so, are we talking about here? What uh, Indianapolis, Indianapolis, Indianapolis. Indiana. Okay. So we're in a big, big city. city. We're not even a small town. We're in a big right. city, yeah. Indianapolis, Indiana. So um, we call the, the funeral home. They come, they get the body. I tell them, don't embody that next day. Um, well, no, I think it was a Friday. So actually on Monday, I'm back on the line with the coroner's office again, trying to get them to, you know, reverse this decision. You need to come check this body out. And they literally tell me, listen, we see this all the time. We guarantee you it was a heart attack. We're not coming. We're not going to do an autopsy. There's no reason for us to. And they list these quote unquote seven factors that they have to have to determine whether or not um, an autopsy is performed suspicious death, um, you know, a disturbed scene. And he definitely fit within those realms because how can you not say the death is suspicious when there's no history of um, right. cardiac event? I mean, you know, somebody could have poisoned 
then you don't know. And right. they wouldn't have cared because again, and, and I told him because you, you said, because he's an African-American 70 year old man, you're just going to assume it was a heart attack. And they said, yeah, it was natural causes. You know, I do, I do African-American men die of heart attacks more often than, than Caucasian American men. Uh, that, that is actually what the, the corners was telling us is that really? yes, see a huge um you see a huge amount especially with african-american men around late 60s and 70s cardiac events are quite common uh for that that group and we okay. do know that there's a disparity in healthcare between african-american males and white males and so what sure. we see is that uh but my father went to the doctor regularly so that right so they, they thought here here's a guy that probably didn't take care of himself didn't have the proper medical care things exactly. accumulated over time he had a heart attack and they did not believe us when we were telling them that's not the case here. But right. they were simply, and so they simply said, "Well, we don't know it was a heart attack because um, uh, we didn't do an autopsy, so we're just going to write it as natural causes." And that's what's going to be on the death certificate. So, what do you do with that? I mean, like, so, so who, who? I know you guys proceeded because we're going to get to a diagnosis yeah. of sarcoidosis. So, what did you do? Um, the only thing after I, I, so I, I kept trying to advocate and I was very angry and I was thinking about, you know, the legal background of me, I'm like, can we sue, um, what can we do? And so finally, um, the, the funeral director actually kind of said to me, listen, um, I've dealt with this a lot. You're not going to get them to change their minds at some point, you know, we got to embalm dad. We got to get him in. We got to get the ball moving. He said, why don't you? If you guys can afford it, just hire uh, a private a doctor, a private autopsy company to come in and, and give you the answers that you're looking for. And where is uh, your where is your dad's body at this point? It's, is it's it, at the funeral home. At the funeral home. OK, yeah, got it. OK, so you so you found a private company. We did. We found a, a private doctor uh, that that has an autopsy, a private autopsy company. They performed uh, the autopsy within a few days. And let me say. That um, it's a shame that 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 we had to do that. And that's part of the reason I'm an advocate now is because um, that is something that families shouldn't have to do, because let me tell you, it's a lot of money. It's not a it's not a, 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 a it's not an affordable kind of thing. It's a yeah. lot of money. It yeah. has to be paid up front, obviously, and it has to be paid immediately because, you know, you have to get that done because you still have to get the body embalmed. You still got to plan a funeral. So it has to be done within a few days. So, you know, if they want five, six, seven thousand dollars, you have to be able to write a check and you yeah. have to be able to write it right then. Luckily, we could um, afford that, but everybody can't. Right. Everybody can't. And that's what I guess scares me, makes me so upset is because it feels like there are how many families have been told it was natural causes, which how do you get natural causes at 70? I, that's not old enough for natural causes, in my view, but apparently the Marion County Corner disagrees with me. But um, to say natural causes at 70 without investigating, how many families have been told that? How many families have been told that their loved one died of, of natural causes or of a cardiac event when that's not really the case? And um, that's kind of where my passion comes in. But we paid, we paid the, the private autopsy company. They did the autopsy within a day or two. And then um, we then, after the autopsy is done, we can then begin the process of, you know, embalming dad, planning for a funeral. You know, my father was a pastor. Uh, oh, okay. He'd been a pastor for, gosh, 20, 20 plus, 30 years. Very popular in the community, a community advocate. He really believed in 
in, in giving back and helping to so many people. In fact, the day before he died, he was out delivering uh, food boxes to folks and carrying these boxes up steps with no issues. You know, uh, it was just so unbelievable to everybody. But it was it was it was a big funeral. And, and it was a difficult thing to navigate because we're in the middle of COVID uh, at this time. It was 2020. We're in the middle of COVID. We're trying to navigate how to play. Now, we were at the end of the year. So it was it was at the tail end. We weren't in the height of COVID. We were coming out of it kind of so. Um, but it was a, a, a very tough thing to navigate between how do we plan uh, this service for this, you know, big momentous guy in the community, but still, you know, stay strict to, to COVID protocol. So it's all of that going on. We do that. We have the funeral. And then about a week later, we get the the results from the right. uh, private doctor. And what and were the results? So he comes in and he tells us that what he noticed was um, these kind of white granulomas inside the heart. And he said, so we've seen these, uh, I see them in the heart. And it's interesting because uh, dad didn't have them anywhere else. So they weren't in the lungs. They weren't, uh, you know, because people and I know the, the the listeners with sarcoidosis will know usually, you know, it starts in the lungs. It starts in the spleen. The body parts. Dad didn't have it in the lungs. Didn't have it in the spleen. If he had it in the lungs, he might have known uh, there may have been some sign or some symptoms, but he didn't have it there. So there were no signs. It was just in the heart. And he said, you know, we're seeing these granulomas in the heart. He said that um, leads me to believe that this is sarcoidosis. And I'm thinking, OK, what is that? I'd never heard of it. I'd never heard of it. And he says, you know, it looks like he had uh, sarcoidosis in the heart and that what happened was um, it caused an arrhythmia overnight, which is basically where the rhythm of the heartbeat is interrupted. And so he had a, a, a fatal arrhythmia, arrhythmia at night. The heartbeat got interrupted and it couldn't essentially catch itself back up. And, um, that's why he passed in his sleep. And, you know, I guess there was some um, peace in that. It would have been very peaceful. He wouldn't have noticed it. It would have been quick. It, um, and I guess if anybody has to pass, that is the best way to go, right? In your sleep, peaceful, um, with, without being aware of it. So that's what it was. It would have happened suddenly. It would have been quick. Um, and so that's kind of what it was. But we were glad we had a diagnosis, and I think that that was so important for us because we would not have been able, I don't know where I would be or if I would be able to move on if I hadn't pursued this to figure out what was it that um, that took my father because I, I just, it, it just would have, I, 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 we just couldn't figure it out. And so at least to have a diagnosis put on him to say, okay, he had cardiac sarcoidosis, at least we know. We know now, and um, because I, I will tell you, John, the the things that run through your head <laughs> in the weeks in between, you're always thinking, you know, was he hiding something from us? Was there some disease that he didn't tell us about? I we I will tell you, I didn't even tell you this part. At one point, me and my sister actually went to uh, his doctor's office because we're thinking you had to miss something. Like, how could you not, how did you let my father die? Like, what, what secret are you hiding us? And so all these conspiracy theories ran through our head that dad was hiding the secret disease from us. And maybe he didn't tell us. And so we're actually at the doctor's office. Like, hey, tell us because he wouldn't, we, you know how you call the doctor, you get the nurse, you can't get the doctor in front. He wouldn't answer the phone. 
And so that Friday, we drove to his office. Really? Sitting in the office, like, hey, you're going to talk to us. Like, we want to talk to him. And so he finally does. He comes out and he talks to us and he's like, listen, there's no secret. He said, there's nothing there I don't know. He says, I don't know either. And so um, in Indiana, for the coroner to sign off on the death certificate on natural causes, um, the primary care doctor has to sign off. And so the coroner's office that Friday afternoon had already sent the death certificate to be signed by uh, uh, by his doctor. And the doctor said, well, listen, if if you guys don't think this was natural, and he said, I don't know what caused it either. He said, I don't think it was a cardiac event. He said, I won't sign it. Um, and so he didn't. And that's one of the reasons, too, why we were able to get the private autopsy, because the death certificate wasn't finalized because uh, his primary care doctor would not sign the death certificate. He refused to sign it until we got the uh, the autopsy results back. And so um, once we got the the autopsy results back, we sent it in to the, the his primary doctor. They signed the death certificate. But that's how we found out that he had a cardiac sarcoidosis, which, again, we're like sarcoidosis. What is this? We had never heard of it. Never heard of it, right? <clears throat> had never heard of it. Had yeah, that's, I, I've, so many people I interview, you know, they wind up with it. Never heard of it. And you know, my sister had been in healthcare for years at that point, for over a decade. She'd heard of um, sarcoidosis, but she'd always known it as a a primary lung disease, and. Yeah. She did not know it as, you know, in its cardiac form. And she had never had a patient with sarcoidosis. And she's been in healthcare. She's been working at, you know, one of the major hospitals in the city for over a decade, never encountered it. And so um, the, the autopsy doctor was great. And he really walked us through what sarcoidosis was, how it's formed, something that, um, you know, in his words, uh, it was it was somewhat of a relief because I think my my older sister especially took it really hard because she had always been dad's kind of and mom's kind of primary advocate for their health care. Right. She's the one that's making sure they go to the doctor's appointments. She's the one that's looking over their results. And I think she really blamed herself and, and felt like, how did I miss this? And so hearing the the autopsy doctor say, listen, this is something that because it's it's only in the cardiac there would have been very few, if any, symptoms, and we can't pinpoint that he had any. And it would have been something that would not have come up in um, the kind of normal testing that he would have been getting. Yeah, unless you know, unless he was. Um, I've taught, I've interviewed a couple of cardiac yeah. SARC patients, and what you know, what I hear was. Um, you know, they had trouble going upstairs. They got a little bit winded because their heart wasn't functioning properly. And it was enough that that somebody went looking for it. And I'm almost thinking, wow, your dad was so fit that he was able to overcome what might've been what might, you know, if he was a little bit heavier, if he didn't eat quite so well, you know, he, he might've had a symptom so they could have gone looking for it. Um, and, and, you know, that's something that we've wrestled with as well. Um, if he had been, you know, a little sicker, maybe they would have done more. I don't know. Um, but they, you know, it, 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 any symptoms that he had would have been mild. Um, he certainly didn't know them. We certainly didn't see them. And uh, they never, like you said, it's something that you have to look for. They, they never looked for. There was never, you know, dad never had any echocardiograms done. He never did anything because there was never any need to, as far as they were concerned. And that's part of the problem. And that's part of the legacy in which um, I'm fighting for is to say, well, why don't we do more testing? Because there can be underlining things. A person can seem 
very healthy because we love, especially, you know, in America, we love to say, oh, well, this person's healthy because they look healthy or they're a certain body weight or something. But that's not necessarily true. Not necessarily true. Yeah. The perfect example. He's the perfect example of somebody who looks healthy on the outside, but had something um, underlining. And listen, we don't know how long he had it. We don't know um, when he would have showed up or what it was. It's probably something that that occurred long term. Who knows? We don't know how he developed it. Um, there's a lot of questions there that, that we just don't know, but we do know that they never looked for it. They never did anything beyond the standard, you know, blood testing, EKG testing, which it didn't show up in all those results came back good. You know, cholesterol's good. Blood levels are good. So they never did any further testing. So they were never able to find out right. uh, that he had it. And so we started doing the research and, you know, um, now I, wa- and, I wanted, I wanted to connect that dot because, um, if you, you know, like, like me or pretty much anybody who winds up within the space of the foundation for sarcoidosis research, which is kind of, you know, the mothership, you know, is it what did the research lead you to FSR and your decision to maybe try and do something about it? Or how did that work? Yeah. So after we found out that this was what it was, we did a huge deep dive into figuring out, okay, um, what is this disease? How is it, you know, how did he possibly get it? Is it genetic? Like there were a lot of things that we had questions about um, that we wanted to know beyond what, again, the doctor had told us. And he was great. He, he gave us a lot of information. Um, and so we started doing the research and that is how I came upon uh, FSR. And they did a great job of compiling a lot of information as well and helping us kind of understand what, uh, you know, sarcoidosis is as a whole and how it can manifest in so many other parts of the body and what to look for. And so um, that's kind of how, yeah, that's kind of how we got, how I got associated with them. Got it. So, so, and of course um, you've got this wonderful um, background in media and, you know, uh, a law degree. And uh, so, so you reached out and said, how can I help? And they said, oh, well, <laughs> welcome aboard. You know, we, we, we could slot you in in lots of different places if you're willing to do it. So like me, you're now an advocate, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so, so uh, uh, you, I know you've just been onboarded, as it were, recently with the organization. What do, what do you think? What, what are your impressions now that you're sort of here and you're getting a lay of the land? No, I, I, I am very impressed with uh, the whole team. I'm impressed with all the work that they do in uh, education and advocating and uh, trials and so much. And I'm just here to, to, to be a help to that because um, I feel that this disease is, is a lot of people don't know about it. Um, I just I, I can't help but feel that there are and, and we do know it's a rare disease, but I can't help but feel there are possibly more folks out there who have either passed from this or, or have this and just have no idea because again, uh, it's something that doctors have to actually look for. It's something they have to, to, to go test for in, in certain versions. And I'm talking specifically about cardiac version, right? Um, and, and when you, you see the numbers and you do the research and you see how many people have a sudden death as a result of having the cardiac version, you ask yourself, okay, you know, how many other folks out there have maybe had a cardiac event from the cardiac version and have been simply told it's a heart attack? And never did the testing, didn't have $6,000 to pay a private doctor to figure out that, you know, it was sarcoidosis. And so it's not diagnosed. And, and though it's not hereditary, 
that's important because it can have a genetic impact. So there can be a genetic component to it. And so people need to know if this is something that is in their family so that they can get tested for it. And you can advocate for yourself and say, you know what, hey, maybe this is something I need you to look a little bit deeper. Um, and so it, it, that was important to me. And then, you know, my father being such a community guy, he would have wanted us to use anything we could, especially his, his passing in a way that helps as many people as possible. And so that's really important to me is to make sure that he um, did not pass in vain because I still have a lot of hard, I still have a hard time processing um, all of this because, you know, uh, it, 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 there's such an, an unfairness, I should say, that I feel. And, and I know, I guess everybody who loses someone feels that way, but there's an unfairness in the fact that, you know, dad worked so hard to do everything that you're supposed to do, right? To live a very long life. And um, by all intents and purposes, he should have had that. And um, to be robbed of that, and, and, you know, after all the sacrifices he made in terms of how he lived and what he ate and, you know, where he went and, you know, dad never smoked, he never drank, he just, he did all this. And I feel like, okay, this is the only way that I can make sure that none of that was uh, in vain is to make sure that in his name, I continue to advocate and continue to help somebody and continue to encourage people to make sure that, you know, they're finding out what you know, is happening to their relatives and to make sure that uh, this disease, if you have it in your family, that you're aware of it, that you're getting treated, that you're, you're, you're asking your doctors about it. So that's kind of where I, what I see my role in helping FSR do more of is just kind of educating, advocate and say, hey, here it is, here's the disease and uh, letting more people know about it. Well, so and now I want to get to that because the reason, uh, other than the fact that it's just really uh, interesting and phenomenal, uh, but your your skill set uh, with a, being a Netflix producer and uh, negotiating contracts for celebrities and uh, event planning and the legal background. You know, so when I look at somebody who's motivated and has a reason to help and then brings all that sort of background to the table, um, you know, glad you're here. Holy cow, this is amazing. Have, <laughs> have you had any ideas sort of percolate up about, you know, what somebody within your position might be able to do to sort of change the world's perception or knowledge of sarcoidosis or bring it to the forefront in some way? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I'm actually, I'm still developing, um, uh, creatively exactly what uh, I want to do. I've only been with the, the foundation for a relatively short time. Yeah. So yeah. I think going into next year is really kind of a, a launch pad for me to really start putting some stuff into motion and say, okay, here's how we can do it. So um, like you said, my background is in entertainment in media um, and the intersection of, of entertainment and, and law, because I do mostly entertainment law, right? Uh, I'm not the guy you want to call if you get arrested. Unless you want to negotiate a contract with the police, right? Exactly. I yeah. can, I can do that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so pulling that intersection together is really uh, where I'm at. And so really just helping to garner uh, media attention, which is something that I'm good at finding ways to uh, create creative, um, campaigns, whether it's through, you know, video or, and social media, that kind of thing is something that I, I'm really good at. And so we're going to pull that together and I'm going to pull my team together and figure out, okay, what's some creative ways we can really go about um, 
promoting and and bringing attention and bringing awareness the 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 foundation actually has a lot of great initiatives that they're putting together and so putting a spotlight on those initiatives and giving them the opportunity to uh, talk about those to a broader audience is something that uh, I hope to bring into the foundation. So really a matter of just bringing in that creativity and those media connections and helping them kind of uh, advance that mission so that they can get a little bit more attention for what they're doing and what's going on. And hopefully that translates into, you know, dollars and uh, awareness and all that good stuff. Yeah. So, uh, and so, you know, 2022 is right around the corner as you and I are are speaking now. Um, I just, uh, I'd see, you know, wouldn't it be amazing for instance, and I'm, I don't want to, I'm just, I'm just thinking, wow, here's a guy that's already got a series on Netflix. What if you could develop a drama around a family that had sarcoidosis and everybody's watching it on Netflix and they're watching it because it's a great drama, but everybody's talking about, you know, the more often you use the word sarcoidosis, the more people yeah. are, are aware of it, you know, just, you know, and it can be an African-American family and they can be fighting all the issues that African-Americans fight and, and being dismissed and all those, all those trigger points in terms of just writing a script. And I'm, I'm bringing in my news version yeah. of understanding, um, you know, something like that is like, whoa, that would be a total game changer for sarcoidosis. Yeah, um, it would be. And maybe that 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 that's uh, something we could do down the line. I don't know. Um, you know, I, I definitely think that that is a, a possibility. Uh, I would say that that's definitely going to be a, a, a very long term kind of project. Sure, sure. Those kind of scripted yeah. projects take uh, years to yeah. pull off. So I'm definitely, yeah. but I'm open. I'm game to it. Um, so I definitely think that there are, for me anyway, there are immediate things that we can begin doing and then kind of some of the long term. So like you said, um, film, movies, television series, scripted, unscripted, those are kind of some of my, my long term goals. And so it's just a matter of sitting down and figuring out, okay, which one do we start with? Which one do we want to start with? How do we want to go? Because they all take, um, so much time. So if you're doing, you know, doing a, a, a series of that nature, something that requires a lot of buy-in and a lot of moving pieces. So, you know, just sitting down and kind of making that game plan and saying, okay, maybe this is something we could do for 2024. And, you know, we can begin building the building processes of that. So I like that idea though. I actually, I, I might work on that script. I like that. Well, let me know if I can help, but I, you know, I don't know what I would do, but <laughs> Uh, you can do um, a lot <laughs> since, since I landed, since I landed it on you, you know, it's like, you know, whatever, whatever I could do to help. Um, but I just, uh, I, I'm intrigued by the process and I'm intrigued by the fact that, uh, that you're at the table and that you're motivated to try and help. And, um, you know, I just think it's, uh, uh, there's a reason that, that you're here. Yeah, no, I, 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 I absolutely believe that, you know, as I said, uh, my father was a minister. I've always grown up as a person of faith. And um, we've always been taught in the faith that, you know, um, God doesn't make any mistakes and that everything happens for a specific reason at a specific time. And um, while we never truly understand why everything happens, we accept it and we say, okay, this must be where you want me to be at, at this moment. And so, um, it's my belief that, uh, you know, God would want me to use what happened to my father to help as many people as possible. And 
that's what I'm I'm trying to do. And, yeah, and so yeah. did you, did did your dad look like Denzel Washington by any chance? Uh, <laughs> I'm thinking of a fit guy about that age. Um, well, I think uh, do I have... let's see the picture. Let's see. Well, this isn't a whole body shot, but uh, that's him and my mom. Yeah. OK, that's not far off. <laughs> I mean, with the goatee and everything there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he kept, uh, you know, my uh, my father was very proud of the fact that he could still grow a a full uh, afro and beard even yeah. at his age. His hair yeah. never thinned. So, uh, <laughs> and I have that uh, I have that gene as well. I have to to keep it this low. Like I have to get it cut like every week and a half. Otherwise, it just grows and grows and grows. So I I I have that gene. And don't wow. tell anybody. My sisters do too. But yeah. Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> they All don't right. like it as much though. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's amazing. Well, look, um, man, I am just so glad that, that uh, you're, you're on board with uh, the rest of us who are trying to get the word out about sarcoidosis. And uh, I just uh, am, am thrilled to, uh, to have you here. I'm sorry that it had to happen the way that it did with the loss of your dad. Um, but, uh, I, I hear that dedication in your voice and, and, uh, I just am, am really looking forward to whatever you can do or, or can be done. I, I don't want you to have to do it all by yourself because, Absolutely. you know, you've joined the group and I'm sure that, that, uh, FSR will help however it can with whatever you want to do to try and raise awareness. Absolutely. They've been extremely supportive and, uh, you know, we're, we're really going to get the ball rolling next year. Time is always, you know, just figuring out the, the time thing has been the hardest thing, like, uh, you know, for yeah. me, uh, we right. definitely gonna get the ball rolling in and I'm excited. I, I really am to bring awareness to the sarcoidosis community. All right. Warren, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. I feel like a zombie. So thanks so much to Warren for joining me here today, and not just for joining me here on the podcast, but for all he is hoping to do going forward. And if I can magnify his voice just a little bit more by putting it out there, uh, then I am so happy to be able to do that here with the podcast where we've now had tens of thousands of downloads and things things are, are still going up here on the Sark Fighter podcast. So I hope that it helps just a little bit to give voice to what Warren is trying to do. But a man with his talent, his connections, might be able to move the needle when it comes to sarcoidosis, raising awareness, and that leads to the other good things we talked about before the interview and during the interview, and maybe makes life just a little bit easier for the rest of us who are dealing with sarcoidosis in some way, and more importantly, for those people down the road who don't who don't have sarcoidosis yet or don't know they have sarcoidosis, but when they go to uh, when they go to uh, to fight the disease, maybe they'll have more options, and maybe it's because of Warren and his work and and his raising awareness. So it was truly an honor and a privilege to have him on as a guest here today. Uh, A couple of other things, Uh, the official Sark Fighter song, I mentioned this in all my podcasts, but it's a great song. It's called Zombie by another talented entertainer, Mark Steyer and his band, the White Hot Lizards from Canada. 
And Mark shared his story. He was a hockey player, and one day things just weren't right. Yeah, it was sarcoidosis. And and he shared his story way back in episode 12. And occasionally I'll play the entire song for you at the end of an episode. In fact, I did that at the end of episode 41. So maybe go back and listen. Listen to those lyrics and see if they aren't telling your story too or the story of your loved one. I call this the Sark Fighter Podcast because I'm fighting Sark. I have neurosarcoidosis. And whether you're a caregiver, a patient, a researcher, or a family member like Warren, you're here in this space, and that's why you're listening to the Sark Fighter Podcast, where we gather, and you don't have to feel like you're so all alone. And again, I want you to know that there's a reason for hope. And as I say this, um, one of the things that makes me so happy is that uh, as I work on these podcasts and release every other Monday, my trusty rescue dog, Dougal, a boxer that we rescued when he was eight weeks old, is curled up right here on the chair in my office. and He makes my life so much better. Hey, I'm going to share with you two things before I go today, two more reasons for hope. And these are great things that are happening with the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. And uh, I want to let you know that um, they have given out $50,000. So when you donate to FSR, you say, well, where does the money go? Well, they've donated two small research grants to support smaller scale or pilot research projects. And basically, these get the research going for those guys that I talked about. And the the goal of the small research grant is to provide early career and established sarcoidosis researchers financial support so they can get pilot data and then pursue, uh, pursue hopefully innovative research that might otherwise not be funded. And so I'll tell you just very quickly about two of them. They received 11 grants, 11 applications this year, and they awarded $50,000 toward the 2021 research grants, FSR announcing two awardees to Manish Bargava, Bargava, MD, PhD from the University of Minnesota, and Peter H.S. Sporn, MD from Northwestern University. Uh, Dr. Bargava uh, is an associate professor of pulmonology, allergy, critical care, and sleep medicine. Uh, for his proposal, Comprehensive Assessment of Signal Transduction Pathways in Sarcoidosis, and that is a mouthful. But basically, he'll be addressing inflammation in sarcoidosis, commonly treated with steroids like prednisone, which I've talked about a lot and which is not great, and it has severe side effects that may worsen the quality of life in patients. And his study will provide the foundational work for a new group of medications called kinase kinase inhibitors as a potential sarcoidosis treatment. And so what they'll do is they'll uh, gather inflammatory cells from the lungs and the blood and computational analysis using state-of-the-art technology to identify certain enzymes that promote sarcoidosis inflammation. And then they'll look for inhibitors that can be used to reduce the inflammation that are not, that are not prednisone. So he's looking for a new way to help fight the inflammation that we get with sarcoidosis. And then Peter Sporn, MD, is the director of Northwestern Sarcoidosis Center of Excellence, professor of medicine, cell and developmental biology, and medical education at Northwestern University's Feinberg School of Medicine. He received $25,000 
for assessment of the immune response to SARS-CoV-2, that's COVID, that's a fancy way of saying COVID, COVID vaccination in sarcoidosis, and Dr. Sporn and his colleagues at Northwestern are basically conducting a study. They're measuring the immune responses to COVID vaccination in people with sarcoidosis, people who uh, have sarcoidosis being treated with immunosuppressive medications and others with sarcoidosis who are not on uh, treatment will be studied, and then also vaccine responses in both groups will be compared to the responses in healthy people. So in other words, we look at, we're all taking these autoimmune medications, and then we get the COVID vaccine, and the question is, is does that work, or do these drugs that we're taking maybe shut down the um, the effectiveness of the drugs that we take. So you're taking an autoimmune drug and then you give yourself a vaccine and that's basically supposed to create an immune response in your body. Well, is it going to work? Is it going to work? And this is one of the things that Dr. Sporn will be treating. And I did a whole podcast uh, on this with many leading experts, including Dr. Sporn. Uh, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. But the important thing to remember is you, you see a lot of fundraising requests from the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. And, and I do a lot of work in the fundraising space, not just for sarcoidosis, but I'm on a couple of local boards here in Roanoke, Virginia, where I'm based. And the majority of the giving to nonprofits happens in the fourth quarter of the year. And, it, of course, uh, by the time you hear this, Giving Tuesday will have passed. But this is the time of year when people try to figure out where to send their money. And I would say, and I would hope that you would join me in making a donation to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. And it's very easy to do. I'll put a link to the, to FSR, as I always do, in the show notes. Um, but the money goes to fund these types of projects. It goes to raise awareness, but it also goes right to where the rubber meets the road with these doctors who are doing innovative research and trying to figure out what's causing sarcoidosis, what's causing the inflammation, and they get right down to the cellular and biological level that's, for the most part, too complicated to talk about here on the podcast. Very difficult to do that at a level where the where the average listener can understand it. Um, but uh, just know that it's happening and know that that's a, maybe a great place here at the end of the year for you to, uh, to make a donation. And any donation is always appreciated. Some people have deeper pockets than others. Uh, but it's just good to know that, that that's out there. And as we're here in the, at the end of the year, uh, maybe something you could consider for uh, the reasons that I just mentioned. Now, if you are new here and you're trying to figure out what sarcoidosis is, try go back and listen to episode two with Dr. Simon Hart. It's one of the most listened to episodes, and he talks all about what sarcoidosis is, what's going on in your body. My story, if you're trying to figure out my deal, is episode one. The backstory to the founding of the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research is episode 11 with Andrea and Renning Wilson. They started this whole thing. Andrea is a fellow SARC fighter, and her husband, Redding, is a very effective person in terms of getting things done. And they looked around 20 years ago and said, hmm, there's nobody fighting this like there is cancer or other 
diseases that you hear about, breast cancer, Coleman, you know, all these others, and they start at the foundation, and, and so the backstory is there. Would you like to be on the Sark Fighter podcast? I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to hear your story. Send me an email. It's in the show notes, carlinagency at gmail.com. And also follow The Sark Fighter on Instagram and Facebook. Let's work on that awareness thing. Help me push this stuff out. I appreciate your interest. And if you would just share this podcast with one person, just take the link, share it, push it out there on your social media. Let people know that you listen to the Sark Fighter podcast. Maybe you found Warren's story particularly intriguing. Maybe you're interested in the research we just talked about. Um, but help me reach more people. Help me raise the awareness. That's why I'm doing this. Give the show a nice review on wherever you listen to your podcasts. And thanks again to Warren D. Robinson for joining me here today. Let's hope his creative mind helps us find a way to beat the disease. Until next time, keep fighting. Fight 
Oh.